What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Why Jesus Podcast. This is episode number five. I can't believe we're on episode number five already. Uh, you know, Why Jesus answering life's most important question and not only answering it for salvation and, and why we need Jesus to, to save us, but why uh, Jesus is the filter we need to view everything through. And today is, uh, you know, it's a topic we're going to be discussing that many people, um, you know, they kind of make an idol out of the topic we'll be discussing today, and they stop filtering Christian, they stop filtering life through a Christian lens and start filtering it through a political lens, and uh, things get a little bit messy. But I have with me somebody who has an incredible way of balancing his uh his political views and and filtering them through a christian lens and being able to articulate that in an incredible way for people to understand and for even outsiders looking in to get a real perspective on how a christian is supposed to view these things so angel Kiros, owner of red liberty media what's up brother how are you what's going on man it's great to be here uh it's great to be part of the uh you know the growth of this channel a little bit and to just see it take take a uh, take precedence in in the youtube space so i'm blessed to be here man thanks for having me definitely man I, i'm excited to to have you on and to go through these top 10 political moments of 2022 <laughs> but before we do just for anybody who does not know who you are um just give us a quick background on what it is that you do um sure. you know all of that stuff i think maybe another day we could go through your testimony of how you became a christian and stuff but uh you know just where you're at right now in your yeah. walk yeah so the cliff notes pretty much my name is angel kiros i do a lot of youtube content about christianity and politics and the intersection of those two kind of on my own channel i also am uh one of the founders of red liberty media which is an independent uh, media and journalism channel for uh creators who want to tell the news to report the news accurately without any well removed from bias as far as humanly possible and so i do that over there red liberty media on instagram and redlibertymedia.com um, and I'm also, you know, a, a member of my church. I'm in, I'm in leadership in my church. I help run uh, the Bible studies. I'm kind of overseeing that area of the church, the teaching area. So that's been a pretty recent uh, blessing through 2022. So that's really where I'm at now. Those are the components of my life. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so just real quick. Uh, you know, something that I've noticed about you and, and that I've admired about you from, you know, we connected earlier in, uh, it might have actually been at the end of 2021. Maybe. Yeah, it might, yeah. It might be. But somewhere around end of 2021, beginning of uh, 2022. And I really yeah. admire the way that you, uh, that you speak about politics. You know, mm. and when, uh, when we talk about being a conservative Christian, there's this whole stigma that comes with, you know, conservative Christian. It's like a big stereotype. Um, right. of what that somebody is supposed to look like, right? And yeah. I, th I think you're a, a great example of what of what a conservative Christian should look like and, and should act. So oh, how is you. it that you have found, found a way to articulate this stuff and, and not get like brought out to the far right deep end? Right. I think I, think I feel like God has set me up to be a contradiction in so many ways, right? So I'm, I'm born my I'm born here in America. My parents are Peruvian, so there's that cultural discrepancy there. I I lived in the hood growing up, but I also went to a private school in a, in a sub, suburban town 
uh, growing up too. And then I also did karate like very much in the hood as well. So growing up, it was just, there was always this tension of like the world is bigger than some people think it is. And so I've always kind of naturally gravitated towards hearing polar opposites and in the conversation and trying to deduce what, what the actual fact is now that doesn't always mean it lines up in the middle, right? Because some people say there is no God. Some people say that not only is there a God, but the God is Allah. And the middle is not Jesus. Jesus is just the truth, right? Mm -hmm. So I came to the realization that like being center, like riding the fence is not necessarily truthful all the time, but you have to be willing to engage with all of the topics and all of the versions of that argument to actually find where along the, the spectrum that truth actually resides, right? It's a great way to put it. So with that being said, we are going to be diving into the top 10 uh, with one bonus, right? Yeah. Uh, that just yeah. happened today. Yeah. <laughs> the, Crazy the, stuff. I know. The top 10 political moments of 2022. And we're going to be discussing these through that Christian lens of how are we supposed to view this and since Angel has spent the whole entire year pretty much diving into these topics you know with his independent um, uh, news coverage channel Red Liberty Media um, right you know he has a lot of insight on these things so we're going to be discussing it and by we I mean Angel is going to be <laughs> I mean, talking about it more I will give my opinions on some of this stuff but uh <laughs> all right let's let's pull this up let me see if I do this correctly Boom, cool. get rid of this and open that. Boom. There we have it. Number 10, January 6th commission. So for those of you who don't know what that is, Angel, give a, give a quick breakdown. Okay, so the January 6th commission is something that was developed by uh, the Congress and the Senate um, and the House, rather, um, to research and investigate the, the events that happened on January 6th, um, 2020. And so... What it what it actually became was kind of this way to rewrite the historical events that was happening that happened during the Trump inaug- or the the Biden inauguration and him actually winning the election and all these things. Uh, it, it's been an interesting journey because, full disclosure, I wasn't there January sixth, but January sixth was like maybe a few weeks after the Stop the Steal rallies. And I was at all of the Stop the Steal rallies, right? And I just needed to see it for myself. I drove down to DC with a few friends. I was involved with like a political organization at the time that, you know, that kind of like walked me through where to go during that time. So I saw everything that was going on there. And I have close friends that were there on January 6th. And everything that the media is showing is way blown out of proportion. And to the point where I have friends now that are, that are, uh, giving themselves in, sentencing them, uh, uh, what's it called, turning themselves in so they can spend some time in jail so that the government will get off their back. So wow. the FBI has been, um, the FBI has been looking into the private lives of private citizens who were there on January 6th, may not have even entered the building and is confiscating things and um, taking them, taking them into custody and doing all these things that are really out on the, on the fray when it comes to things that the FBI should be doing. Invading private citizens is not something that the FBI should do lightly, yet here we are in 2022, and this is being done consistently to gain evidence in some imaginary commission that, that has just been thrown together and then directed by a Hollywood director, which is the craziest part. So the, the commission is being filmed for television, for the news, and is being directed by, the name, the name of the guy escapes me, but he's a Hollywood director, 
deciding where the camera's angles go and what's going to oh be shot, gosh. what's going to be edited out. And it's just become this, this facade, this carnival of the way that the media can take something and completely rewrite it to frame it and give it to the American people. So that was the January 6th commission. One of the most interesting things that happens is, happened this year was just seeing how far the media is willing to go to get across what, the, uh, what they want to get across, right? That's crazy that they got a, a Hollywood director to do this. Who is this? James Cameron? Are they? Are they? Uh, is this a no. stop motion? Uh, they would have know? all been blue if it was James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. His name escapes me. But you would know his name if if I mentioned it. I'll, I'll probably I'll try and follow up with it. If I if we clip it, I'll add the name in. All right. But all right. that's yeah. that's insane, man. And uh, like you got to think about what goes into. Um, into the decision to say, hey, you know, we're, this is what we're doing, this January 6th commission. How do we really get people to buy into this? You know, we, right. we're probably going to have to buy, uh, we're probably going to have to pay a Hollywood director to do this, right. to, to portray this story in a way where people are going to buy into it. Right. And and I think from a, from a faith perspective, it's even more interesting because the main, one of the big parts of the narrative is this like, need to categorize Christians on the right as the new fascists. Yeah. And just because a Christian is holding an American flag, somehow they're part of this huge nefarious plan to take over America and make it racist again and make it all of these things. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, mind you, the people that I went with were all Hispanic. You know, we all had a, uh, that's we all blasphemy. Had a, blasphemy right there. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, there was no shortage of, of uh, multiculturalism, if you could put it that way there. So what happens in the Christian world and in, in churches and stuff is you start to see people, pastors, leaders speaking out against this horrific act of January 6th. When in reality, it was people who took a, a an unauthorized tour of a public building, yeah. right? And and that's really what it was. There was some window crashing, and there was somebody that that got killed. But that person died at the hands of a police officer, you know. So now you have conflicting narratives, and there's all this stuff, and we can get into the weeds on all of it. But the the main thing to take away is that um, for for something that that only caused one death, and that death was a MAGA person, right? This lady named Ashley Babbitt. Um, for that, for that whole thing, there was less, there was more media coverage than for the riots that were going on all throughout, um, uh, during the, the Kyle Rittenhouse thing and, and, uh, what is it? Minneapolis. Um, but there was so much focus on this in the media and so little focus on the actual violence going on in the streets that it was, it was just kind of like a, a, a crazy contradiction to see. Yeah. And just for anyone listening, when we say only one person died, you know, one person dying is is a big deal. You know, <laughs> yes, we're not course. we're not speaking of it in in this way of like, yeah, yeah, only one person died. No, we right. we value life to the highest degree. Yeah. But when course. you're looking at it at a at a more macro level of like what everything is going on, everything that's going on in the country. You know, right. It, I tend to speak without disclaimers, so I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my discla just, disclaimer just, for speaking without the, disclaimers. <laughs> I'll be the disclaimer for you. I know yeah. you, you don't mean that, but there's somebody else that might be listening like, dang, I liked that guy until he said that, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, I've heard that uh, once or twice before. <laughs> all right, let's, let's just for time's sake, let's move on to number nine. Cool. All right, number nine, drag shows for kids. I got some things to say about this, but I'll let, I'll let you uh, start it off. You know, how, how did this become a thing? 
Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon that's kind of happened on the back of the transgender movement. I believe it's it's really become something that like it's it's the slippery slope, quote unquote, fallacy, which I really don't think is a fallacy at all. But first, you take away people's ability to make sense of the truth or to even define truth, and then you add in the ability for people to identify as whatever they want. Removing God from the picture and saying that God is is just an opinion that you should keep to yourself. Now it becomes people can be literally be anything they want. I, I can be a woman if I feel like it, and if I feel like I'm a woman inside. And then not only that, I am a woman, and you should call me a woman. If not, you are going to be ousted from society. That turns into well, since that's such a fundamental truth, now we have to tell that to kids, and we have to make kids believe these things. And what that turns into is like, well, how are we going to tell it to kids? We have to play to them, right? The way you would teach a kid is you play to them. And so how do you do that? You take them to fun things. You do drag queen story hour or a drag queen. You're showing how, how, how uh, innocent and how you know, nice it is to have a drag queen reading to children you know, in a library. And then you start like, okay, now they're desensitized to that. Let's bring them into drag shows and let's show them that it's not all about, you know, um, it's not all about being misgendered or whatever. You can actually just have fun at a drag show and it's for all ages. And this is a trend that's grown and this is why I put it on the list. It's just grown so much in the last year where like I live in Jersey. Uh, I, when I would go to Jersey City, there, were, there was a brunch spot that I went to and then I had a drag queen time at the brunch spot, Sunday afternoon. I remember when Sunday afternoon was, every place was filled with a bunch of people that were leaving church, right? And now yeah. it's drag queen story, it's, it's drag queen brunch. And so it's been an interesting evolution of mainstream culture and what you would call the Overton window, which is the acceptable dis dialogue that you're allowed to have within society. It shifted way to the left to where now, hey, drag queens and kids are totally fair game. And um, on, on the back of that, there's been a whole bunch of stuff that's come up um, about how much of damage that actually does to kids, making them think that they want to transition when they don't, and then having them regret those ideas, and so so on and so on and so on. Yeah, I mean, if you if you follow the money, um, when it when it comes to you know kids being influenced into this stuff, um, I, I thought I was a, an X Men mutant till I was like twelve. You know, <laughs> like I really, really had convinced myself in my mind that that I was a mutant until I was like 12, 13 years old, right? So, um, and I not only convinced myself, but I convinced my cousins too. So, <laughs> you know, the sorry, there's there's like somebody has a uh, Grand Theft Auto five-star going on outside <laughs> right <good>. now. <laughs> but um, they're, they're coming for Andrew Tate. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so that's how... That's how crazy this is to, to be listening to kids of, yeah, you can change into whatever it is you want to change into and be who, who, whoever you want to be and yeah. make these life altering decisions. You know, I, I got a lot of pushback when I did the um, when I reviewed the Matt Walsh, um, what is a woman uh, mm. thing? You know, I know people who have transitioned and who are in the LGBT community. And I got some backlash from it, and they're like, you know, I never expected this from you, and and all this really? stuff. I'm like, I'm like, well, if you ain't expect this from me, you, you we obviously haven't spoken a while, uh, right. but <laughs> but also, wow. I I um I obviously disagree with uh, somebody wanting to chop off their junk, 
you know, right. I do. An adult wanting to do it, I still don't think that it's a good idea for somebody right. to do. Even if you are, you know, beyond the age of full maturity and you have decided, you know what, this is something that I want to do to make myself happy. I don't think that you are in your right mind for wanting to do that, right? Well, up until, up until 10 years ago, it was, a, it was a scientific consensus that this was considered body dysphoria. Yeah. Right? So it was looked at as a dysphoric uh, disorder. And so now all of a sudden, not only is it not a disorder, it's something to be celebrated. And that's something that you have to entertain and celebrate yourself, which is that's where the Marxist ideology creeps in, where it's like, yeah. not only am I allowed to, but now you have to. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, at, so saying all that of, uh, of, you know, how I just disagree with it, I, I do not think that you should do that, even though you have the right to go do that. I really am apathetic when somebody really is just like, no, I want to do this. And you're a grown adult and, and whatever, man, I, this isn't the right. hill I'm going to die on. Right. You want to chop off your junk? Right. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. But whatever, you know. Right. But when you are upset that people want to stop kids from doing it, that's when, you know, I go from apathetic to really upset about it. Like, like, yeah. It's difficult for me to speak about it in love because I'm like, how delusional do you have to be in in order to, you know, it's one thing if you're somebody who maybe felt that way when you were a kid and, and you know, you got older and finally was able to transition and stuff. But to to think that that's a blanket statement for all children of, right. of hey, if somebody feels this way, then we got to give them access to it. It's such a small small minority of people who actually when they're a child think that they're a different um a different gender and then right. when they get older they make the transition to that other gender right, right. very 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 small fraction of, of people so you want to give this blanket statement of they should have access to it and and make laws around that and then if you don't allow them to have access to it and you're their parent now you could lose your kid and all of this stuff that to me is is just is pure evil and it's, it's right. all about money. This is this is where I get frustrated, and it's not even really with the the leftist side of the aisle or anything like that. My frustration a lot of times comes from from Christians who want us to take a back seat to these things, yeah. Because the gospel first, right? And to me, that's a cop out. To me, that's a way of avoiding confrontation. Because what ends up ha what what has happened is that we've substituted objective truth for subjective truth your truth versus your truth versus your truth versus my truth and what that is causing is for people to be working with two fundamentally different sets of truths and therefore different ways of rationalizing up and so as christians our job should be preach the gospel to everybody and and try and win people to god in order to create a moral moral fabric of society that is better than where we are but of course, that's not the goal. The goal is heaven, right? The goal is to worship God, et cetera. But we shouldn't desert our country. We shouldn't desert the thing that the, the where God has placed us and what he's asked us to steward. Because if God has placed us in this country, whether you believe that the sovereignty of God is absolute or you think that it's relative according to your free will, we're here, right? And, 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 God, and God is real. And so if he's placed us here, he obviously wants us to steward it well. And he wants us to do well. The parable of the towns explains this very well. You know, and so to me, it's a duty. It's an obligation to vote. And the way that I look at politics is like a missions field. So I'm going in there saying, I want to not only 
help save the people who I would legislate for, but I would want to help um, bring the gospel to the politicians themselves that need some sort of grounding. Because let me tell you, behind the scenes in politics, man, not only are people corrupt, but people are willing to do anything to justify the means of what they're trying to achieve. And it's yeah. a power grab. That's what it is. And so bringing the gospel to people like that almost breaks their heart in softness. And they're like, whoa, I had no idea. And a lot of them, you'd be surprised, even on the right side of the aisle, they just don't know the gospel, the true, like unadulterated Jesus died on the cross, like free grace, you know, by faith through grace. Like they don't know, they don't understand these concepts. And so as Christians, our job is to enter these workplaces as ministers, as ambassadors, and bring the gospel to them so that when they do legislate, they're like, well, I have to legislate against this because it's not God's will. It's not, it's not written in scripture. And there should be Christians doing the same thing on the left too. But if you try and go into a leftist space and say that you're anywhere, anything other than pro-abortion, you're going to get kicked out. Yeah, so, yeah, it's over for you. All right. So number eight, the overturning <laughs> of Roe versus Wade. And yeah. uh, also Dobbs was in there as well. Um, yes. that, that really affected everything. So just break break this down for people because this is this was such a confusing uh, confusing thing for America because yes. they don't understand how the Supreme Court works. They don't understand what happens when something gets passed back to the states. They just they don't really understand how our political system actually functions. Right. Um, they they think that you know oh man roe v wade overturned that's it every all back alley abortions everywhere you know it, it turned into this crazy thing so yeah. explain this to us uh yeah so the function of the supreme court i think is one of the primary things that have been um confused the function of the supreme court is to interpret the law as it is written not to write laws not to make legislation nothing it's literally just what does it say and how does that apply to this specific situation that's the that's the the function of the supreme court or the ideal function right um when uh donald trump put into office kavanaugh and um amy coney barrett the two conservative leaning or they, they call them constitutionalists because they're literalists about the constitution it changed the dynamic of the Supreme Court paired with the, the loss of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You now had a right-leaning or a con uh, constitutionalist-leaning uh, Supreme Court. So what they started to do is to reevaluate some, some of the passings that have happened over the last generation or so under people like, Amy, uh, under people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and stuff. And what they found with Roe was that it actually wasn't a constitutional thing to do because it was making a, a, a state issue into a government issue and elevating it. So what they did was they overturned the decision in order to make it go back to the states. So it wasn't like if you lived in California and you had four abortions a year, you're all of a sudden not allowed to have any. It was just saying that now that is dedicated to the, the rule of the state. And, and that's really what happened there. And it was treated by some as, as uh, this abhorrent thing for women, that it was going to be, you, you were, we were gonna enter, what's that show that, that feminist always saw? Hands Made's Tale. Tale. Yeah. It was treated like the Hands Made's Tale returning, right? And it was interesting to see because it showed how little people were willing to research before actually having a reaction to anything. I, I myself wasn't that thrilled with the decision because it doesn't change anything for me. I live in Jersey. Right. It doesn't change anything for people in California. All the places that want to have abortion still have them. And all the places that don't now don't. Now they actually have what their community is, is after. So 
uh, your mic's buzzing just a little bit, but it's been it's been interesting to see. So that's where we are now um, on on the Christian. Interesting to see the reaction of people who were who were thinking that this wasn't uh, like a woman's issue only because as Christians, we know that when people are married, they become one flesh. They create a child and that child is supposed to be a gift. It's something good and something to be to be cherished and and so one of the best conversations i think came out of it and maybe we could talk about this is what would it look like for somebody who has had an abortion and they feel guilty about it how is the church addressing that situation to make it known that god's grace is so big it would even cover abortion and that i think was the big takeaway for me was like as long as, as I may think abortion is, I know that there's people that have done it and they're repent, they've repent, repented of it, and they may still have a sinking feeling about it. And we should be um, we should be empathetic to those people in in the sense that they are trying they they've they've gone to God about it already and they've they've been forgiven. So making a caricature out of a woman that wants an abortion, I think, is wrong. Yeah, definitely. And I think my mic just went out. Can you got, can you hear me? All right, we are back in business. Wow. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to chime in on, on this part right here because, uh, you know, my wife and I are, are very, uh, we're vocal about our pro-life stuff. It's affected our business. It's affected our relationships. It's, it's affected a lot of things being as outspokenly um, pro-life as we are. And yeah. uh, it, it was, I've lost friends, you know, just wow. by, um, by expressing how, that uh you know by by speaking up when when roe versus wade happened and and everything got overturned by speaking up on it i i have friends unfollow me friends reach out to me like oh how, you can never understand this you're not a woman blah 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 and mm -hmm. and i'm like you people have not thought this through beyond oh they're taking women's rights right you know they they haven't they've never thought it beyond um, the emotional arguments for abortion. They've never peeled back their emotion and just looked at it from a completely objective standpoint. And they like to throw religion in our faces, like, oh yeah, only yeah. reason you believe that is because you're, you're a Christian. And that's not the case. Whether I was a Christian or not has nothing to do with the fact that every single time an egg and a sperm meet, it creates a unique DNA strand that will never be created again. Right. And that life deserves to live you know a, a child should not pay for the sins of their father you know oh what well, what if the woman doesn't want to be with the with the dad or maybe he's abusive or this or that all right how, when have we got to the point in society where it's like oh yeah your dad is trash so we should probably kill you you know right. like that's just we should put you in the trash yeah, yeah. it's so backwards you know so yeah backwards. i think i think the whole thing speaks to a deeper um message about our society which is the modernity right the lack of traditionalism the lack of uh coherent christian values which kind of those were the things that guided us into flourishment in the first place were the christian idea of marriage the christian idea of forgiveness the christian idea of of the family unit the god designed family unit those things were all taken and made into secular ideas because those those ideas are not inherently secular they're not innate um they're something that god created for us and so we took it, uh, Frank Turek says it well. Like people stand on the on the shoulders of God, using His word to slap him in the face, right? And 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 to me, it's like we're we're talking about a culture that's so very broken 
that just the idea that two people should be married before having a child is controversial to say. Yeah. And that's, that's fundamentally something broken about our world. And the, the only antidote is Jesus. And I think when you start saying that is when people start getting mad. Well, now you're just rubbing religion in people's faces. Well, what other alternative do we have? We don't have another solution because this is the solution. Jesus is the only thing that can pull this country up from where it is if he decides to do that, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's uh, So in, in a previous conversation that, that I, I saw you having or reacting to was, can Christians vote blue, you know? Yeah. And this being one of the most important issues um, when it comes to deciding that, you know, I do not like Republicans. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> right? The majority yeah. of them, right? Yeah. And I do, I do not like Democrats, the, the majority of them. It, the way that I vote has nothing to do with the people representing the parties, right? You know, it's got to do with the laws that are in place uh, or that right. are being fought for. And when it comes to abortion, there is a it's a black and white issue here. Yeah, the, it's, the, it was funny that you say that because that was a comment that I got. Oh, you don't vote. You, you won't vote left because of the immorality. But then you say you don't care about the immorality on the right as long as they vote your way. And then my response was simple. Yes, people on the left vote for immoral policies. People on the right, although they may be immoral people, tend to vote for policies that make sense. And usually those policies are moral policies because morality is objectively good. And so it's, it's night and day, the difference as to what they vote for in most cases. And then you have some quote unquote rhinos, we call them, right? Republicans in name only. Um, but as far as the left goes, they, they would never push a pro-life policy unless yeah. there is something, something else in there, but they just won't do it. It's not their platform. It's not what it's for anymore. And I think where a lot of Christians get tripped up is the idea that, that Democrat and Republican are like these standard things that don't change. They ebb and flow with the times, just like everything else. The only thing that stays true is the word of God. And I use this example that I heard from Gabriel Finocchio, I think, uh, where he says like, if, if we lived in a monarchy, I would be a monarchical progressive because I would want to progress from monarchy into a, a, a republic. But since I live in a, rep a representative republic, I am a Christian conservative because I want to conserve the Christian values of the nation. And so it's, it's, they're all of these terms are relative except for Christian. Mm. And, and I think the same thing happens with Christian nationalists. Like nationalism means I want the best for my country. I want my country to flourish. Christian means I want it done in a Christian way meaning I don't want wars, I don't want imperialism, I don't want to kill people in the name of God. I want my country to flourish through the spreading of the gospel, the genuine spreading of the gospel and moral values. And so I think defining the terms is so important in these things, and rarely people do it. <laughs> yeah, they, they associate uh, buzzwords with yes. emotions. And since a buzzword is you know associated with an emotion, they react on that emotion instead of, uh, what the definition of that word actually means right. and so when you hear christian nationalist it sounds insane you know it, <laughs> yeah. it really does and i could imagine somebody you know somebody far on the left being you know maybe lgbt uh community plus the um you know being pro-choice and hearing christian nationalism mm -hmm. and if christian nationalism did happen like they they would live in a society if people lived true Christian values, right? If mm -hmm. they truly did, it would be a flourishing society, 
because yeah. everybody would be taking care of each other and helping each yes. other. That's what it would look like. Voluntarily. The that, yeah. The odds of <laughs> yeah. that happening is slim to none. You know, right. <laughs> it's just it's just slim to none. The the odds of that playing out to its its logical conclusion if people actually live the way that they're supposed to live is probably not gonna happen, right? But I can well, imagine we, somebody being so scared of their, you know, since identity politics has been played on them so much that they view Christianity yeah. as the enemy, not realizing right. that they are living in a society that has a moral fabric to it that has been put in place by Christian values. And right. since you've been living in it for so long, you don't know what it's like to live without it. Yes, 100%. And the thing is that we were we were on our way there. Now, all, all societies are flawed to a degree because all societies are made by men. But one of the reasons that people came to found America was because they wanted to practice their religion freedom, freely. Now, by that they meant their denomination because almost everybody that came here was Christian. And so out of that, you didn't get a state government because you didn't want only Lutherans to be in charge of the government or only Anglicans to be in charge of the government. You wanted to be able to um, be an Anglican and have a Lutheran as the president, right? Like you are a deist, whatever. And so that was really the whole idea of separating church and state. But what what has happened is through through postmodernism and the lack of, of objectivity, uh, the left's biggest weapon is to redefine words. And so what they do is they redefine the word Christian nationalist to mean uh, a Nick Fuentes type or, you know, some kind of radical. And, and that's not what it means. What, it, what the two words mean are very fundamental. And then, like, I, I'll just reiterate, Christian meaning Christian follower of Jesus, nationalist meaning I want what's best for the country through the lens of Christianity. And so I think we need to stop with the sloganizing, the sloganeering and all that stuff and really do the research. Like, why do these people claim that they are Christian nationalists? Or why do these people claim that they are progressive Christians? Which taking those words doesn't <laughs> doesn't mean anything yeah. progressivism the word progressive only means something if you're moving in a direction what is that ultimate direction yeah. and so yeah all right so i would love to stay on this topic but uh you know we're, <laughs> yeah, we're only we on number a little eight long on there. you know <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> all right the twitter leaks i thought this was really uh you know really interesting um just because i think elon musk is a savage i have a love a love hate relationship with uh yeah. with elon musk so anyway let, let's let's talk about what was leaked yeah so twitter bought uh elon bought twitter um after a lot of deliberation after some work um that project veritas did kind of exposing what twitter was doing and et cetera et cetera um and what ended up happening was when Twitter, when Elon bought it, he fired, I think, 75% of the company, and he took all the private records and he started leaking them, and as to private records in relation to censorship in particular. And in those private leaks, um, what you saw was pretty much an, uh, the all of the things that people were saying Twitter was doing, which is specifically censoring conservative voices, specifically de-throttling posts that were going viral that happened to be right right leaning or that happened to counter whatever the current narrative was and you saw that brought to, to fruition during the covid era because i think we can say it on youtube now right i'm not sure yeah yeah I think but i'll say the c word era um i think uh, during the c word era um there was a lot of specific narratives that would happen at specific moments so for example you had to wear your mask or you had to wear two masks and if it was anything happening during that moment where the the standard message was you should do this 
and somebody tweeted, you shouldn't do that, and it would start to go viral, they would suppress it. That came to a head big time during the Hunter Biden scandal, um, where Twitter just blatantly censored even private messages of their users to where you couldn't send the link of the Hunter Biden article from the New York Post. And so this is a huge oligarchical um, digital company censoring the oldest newspaper in America. And that was just like a, a, an explosion. So we saw all of that confirmed through the Twitter leaks that, that Elon has been dropping. And he, I think he dropped more on Christmas. I haven't looked into those. But you saw a bunch of stuff like that. And he started letting people out of jail, like out of Twitter jail. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of that has been where, where Twitter is now. And now who knows what, what's in the future of Twitter because he is looking to, you know, get himself out of there somehow, which I don't blame him. Yeah. So what's interesting is, you know, there's, there's two sides of this, right? And I think the next one is Elon buys Twitter. Let me just. Oh, yeah. So we'll just see. Oh, no, that's not it. Ooh. Um, so we'll <laughs> skip over when Elon buys Twitter. Uh, cool. Um, when, it, when it pops up. But. What I find interesting is the, the two sides of this, right? It's a private company. Well, it was publicly owned. Uh, now it's private, right? I believe. Right. Yeah. So even though it was publicly owned, right, it's it's still owned by somebody else. This is not a government, um, you know, it's not a government entity censoring, right? Right. But the fact that it was in bed with the government. Yes, that was part of it too. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That, was the, that was really the issue where, you know, if if, if I have a... You know, if, if I'm here on YouTube and somebody posts something wild in this chat, I'm blocking them. You know, this, right. this is my YouTube. You you say whatever you want to say. I, I, it takes me a lot to block somebody. I will let you go off, you know, but, right. you know, I'll, I'll block you. That's that's my prerogative. I can do that. This is my space, right? This is my area. Um, so when it comes to Twitter, yeah, an owner can say, hey, I don't want this kind of talk on here or whatever. But the issue becomes when that owner is now inserting, not you know, the owner being that that whole monster of Twitter inserting right. itself into the political narrative and pushing a whole bunch and suppressing the free speech of other people. You know, when everyone knows that Twitter is a place that everybody can come and talk and, and find some information, right. what the news is for the day, and now you have changed it to be uh, you are a narrative director. Right. Instead of You're a just, publisher instead of a, a, a service. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that that's where that issue came in um, for me. I, I understood, you know, because the left would would argue, um, hey, no, it's a it's a private company. They can do whatever they want. It's not a government thing. You know, they would argue all of this stuff, but then they would want they would push for people to get banned like they push yes, for, and they would also Trump. they would also push they would also push a Christian to bake a cake for a gay wedding. Yeah, right? yeah, it's it's whatever they want. You know, yeah. <laughs> whatever they whatever they want. All right, let's move on to right. the uh, to the next let's one. Do it. Oh, I messed it. Boom, the Trump raid. So yes. this is this is something I need to be enlightened on because I, I knew that it happened, but I, mm -hmm. I just I didn't have the capacity to look into it at the time because I was so busy. Um, and Trump to me is just like a movie character, right? Like that's that's who <laughs> yeah. he is to me. Everything that happens, I'm just like I cannot wait for this movie. Right. Right. So explain to us what what went on there. All right. Cool. So Trump raid I'll jump right back into it. One of the things we have to define first is uh, what exactly the FBI is for. Right. The Federal Bureau of Investigation it's supposed to be guarding our privacy as citizens and it's supposed to be doing making sure it does that in a way that doesn't invade 
our privacy themselves, right? And so through people like Ed Snowden and stuff like that with the NSA, we've started to see that the government has increasing technology that can kind of take over our privacy. Where Trump comes into this is that he becomes one of the first people that become, or first sitting presidents that becomes victim to investigation from the FBI and places like that. And so when they raid his house and find a bunch of papers that were quote unquote, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, Classified. Yeah. Uh, confidential, um, it becomes a big scandal when, when in reality, every president takes a bunch of paperwork home with them after they leave the office. And so this was used as a way to pry into Trump's life, essentially, and to set him up for failure in his running, in his, in his uh, recently announced election. I think he had just announced it or was just about to announce his running for 2024. And so all of this was kind of this huge publicity stunt, um, arguably, that was used to kind of further discredit Trump and bring back the whole era of orange man bad and, and all that stuff. So um, they didn't find anything. They really just found those papers. They didn't, they didn't declassify them to show the public. They did nothing, which leads me to believe that there was nothing, right? Mm. So I just added your, your favorite picture of you. <laughs> so that way we... <laughs> I love that picture. <laughs> we at least have, uh, you know, we at least have something. That's very interesting because, yeah, it's like they raided it and then nothing happened. Right. Right. Bananas. All right. Let's let's move on to the next one. Cool. Hold on. I'm trying to. And maybe your camera will kick back on. I don't know. But. Uh... All right. The Ukraine war. And we got to kind of uh, speed up yeah. a little bit just because of all the um, all the hiccups that have gone on. <laughs> But this yeah, was, we'll fly through these. Yeah, but this was huge, man. Like this yeah. is, I remember people were making end time prophecies uh, about <laughs> this. People were hitting me up like, John, do you think, do you think we're in the book of Revelation? Do you think that this is the end times? I'm like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, go through this for us. <laughs> so the, the Ukraine war is interesting. It, um, it, it conveniently um, is a war that is used, that we're we're embedded in on Ukraine side when Hunter Biden, who's the sit, the son sitting president, is somebody that was on the Ukrainian payroll for for years before this, right? So there's already ties that we have to Ukraine. There's already already things that we have in common with them as far as like our allegiances and things that we want out of out of war, essentially. Um, now there's not. There's no clear-cut narrative for this, right? One, one side of it is Russia bad, Putin bad, therefore everything they do is bad, and the Ukrainian war um, is is just the little guy, it's David versus Goliath, it's the little guy versus everybody. Um, when in reality, Putin had, had done several things to try and avoid coming into, into Ukraine, and there's so many conflicting things about this this war and, and the details coming from it that it's really hard for, for me to even grasp my mind around. So then I look to like, how do I react to this as a Christian? Well, as a Christian, I think whenever people are getting killed, it's bad no matter what. I would support missionaries going into Ukraine to help whoever is there, and I would support missionaries going into Russia to help whoever's there. Like, I think this weird tribalism that like, because Ukraine is the the quote unquote uh, victim here, that we should completely side with Ukraine out of the sake of compassion. It, it kind of misses the complexities of international politics. We you know humans are humans everywhere, and so no matter what, there's always going to be an under, underclass. There's always going to be a bourgeoisie, 
And as Christians, I think we should look to the people in need in those situations, the war, the war tarnished areas, the people who are, um, who desperately need water and food or whatever. And that's where we should be helping. And that's where we should be focusing on helping the church expand through persecution, because I'm sure in middle of war, church gets leaned on even more and there's mm -hmm. either more persecution or people are trying to corrupt the church in order to get, you know, war favors from it. Hitler very famously did that with the Orthodox church. So, you know, I think that's our job is to make sure the gospel furthers in those places. Amen. Yeah, that's a, a whole complicated situation. I, I can't <laughs> I can't even begin to wrap my head around it. One thing that that upsets me and, and you know, I, I feel for uh, anybody who's who's in war, you know, is we keep sending money, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we just keep sending money. And I'm like, where is this money coming from that we are yeah. sending? And. It's like, I, I get it. I, I feel for them. But, bro, we, we got our own issues here, you know. And I think that's one of the uh, one of the, the things that people are, um, you know, they have to balance. Um, right. No other country is like, oh, yeah, let's put other countries first. No other country does that. Right. And then here you have America that's like, yeah, let's let's put every other country before us. And then when you suggest that maybe we should, you know, pull back a little bit and, and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't do that. We should probably focus on on right here, get the home strong and then we could help other people. Now, all of a sudden, you're a national like Christian nationalist, you know, or, or, or something like that. It's it's insane to think about because um, th that that's really that's really true. It's it's always looked at in a binary. And, and I think we need to get away from that, especially um, when it comes to complicated topics like international war and polit the political, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, moving on, moving on. Number four, as if this was any surprise, you know, <laughs> Trump announcing his 2024 presidential run. What's, <laughs> right. what's your, so I know people who love, love, love Trump. I actually, um, uh, one, of the, one of the guys that I work with, um, helping him with social media, he hit me the other day, was like, Trump, Trump is bailing out on us. He he just had all the LGBT people at his uh at at his at his house. He's bailing out on us. I'm like I'm like one. I'm not as invested as as you know. <laughs> as, he's he's letting he's betray, he's betrayed us. <laughs> yeah, I'm like yo. I'm not, I'm not as invested in uh, in Trump <laughs> as you may be, man. So and two. I don't hold this Trump dude to this like high biblical standard of, of like what a biblical Christian man is supposed to be. Like, I know he's not that guy. So and also, like, what's the big deal of him having like people over his house? You know, like, right. Like what? How is this crumbling his whole entire? He's stabbing us in the back. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that Trump was the first pro-LGBT president ever in United States history. Wow. He was the first pro-gay president. He raised up on, on his campaign trail. He famously raised up a rainbow flag with Trump written on it, Trump 2020. And so for people to be upset about that now, it's kind of wild, right? But that's not, we didn't vote for him necessarily for for these niche social issues, right? We, we more voted for him for the prosperity of the country as a whole. Yeah. And he was appealing to a certain feeling of like people being unheard in this country, whether gay, straight, black, white, whatever, people feeling like the average worker was not being heard. And it took this rich guy from New York to really say, look, I got you guys. I'm not one of them, but I will gladly become one of them on your behalf. That was the appeal of Trump. That was his 
his rise, you could say. And so here in 2024, um, that he's announcing his presidency, I don't know if he'll be as effective simply because he's done certain things that his core core base doesn't like, which is um, Operation Warp Speed, creating that vaccine, um, you know, stuff like that, that they're not really into. And on top of that, he's he's reclused himself after being banned on Twitter and he's just issuing these random memos here and there. So his main line of communication through Twitter was where he kept stirring the pot, stirring the pot. He was on the campaign trail all the time. And right now he hasn't done anything. As a matter of fact, he's taken hits because he went after DeSantis. Yeah. And DeSantis seems to be like a more a guy with more integrity, or so it seems, right? He seems to be picturesque in the sense he's a Christian. He has Christian leaders come to all of his rallies. You know, he prays, all this stuff. And whether or not that's that's a facade or not, who knows? You really can't tell. But he legislates in a way that that is in accordance with that. And he legislates very like the the quote unquote don't say gay bill that he legislated was was a huge success for for DeSantis. And if he takes that energy into the into the presidential run, then he's going to he's going to beat Donald Trump. And it's just going to stop. Yeah, that's going to be a crazy situation. I think, you know, this is just my uh, conspiracy brain working is um, I think Trump is so good. So. There's two things. One, I think Trump is just absolutely insane and he just does things (laughs) out of emotion and he just says things for shock value, that, right? So I have that one version of Trump in my head. Then I have the other version of Trump that is like so smart that he's like, yeah, I'm gonna cause some beef right now because we're gonna get uh, DeSantis to to win. You know, like we're gonna make people like him more because if people hate me, they gonna like him more, right? So I think we uh, we lost him. Sorry, I'm here. Yo, you got video. I could remove. <laughs> oh, there we go. Let's let's see if it holds. <laughs> All right. So I was just saying that you know the other side of Trump that I have in my mind is this like chess player who's just just doing moving uh, moving moving pieces on the board for the Republicans to win. You know, which I yeah. The I think the only the only way the Republicans will lose is if they just completely jack it up because uh, people are so dissatisfied with um the democratic party that that they're even losing democrats you know the problem is one of the and this is where kind of i've get a lot gotten a lot of flack on the right too is that the right can't take a win they just they <laughs> can't it's like we win and then they're just like not good enough like yeah. the <laughs> Like, okay, so you're not allowed to talk to kids under, what is it, eight years old about sex. Well, what about kids seven through one? You know, and so <laughs> the, the left is great at this progressive slope thing where it's like, okay, we're going to celebrate like hell and then we're going to push even harder. Like the right never celebrates. They just push harder and push harder and they're never yeah. happy. And so you continue to fracture and fracture. And I think, you know, the the Trump part of everything has gotten so fractured that that movement is no longer the MAGA movement of tw- of 2016. It's something very different now. Yeah, it's it's way different. It's a way different. Yeah. It's also a completely different political environment now as yeah. well. Um, all right, let's see what we got here. Three, Elon Musk buys Twitter. We pretty much covered that one, so I'll skip it. Um, yeah. Two, the Balenciaga scandal. So yes, this is some deep stuff that it it. It's crazy to me that it did not get more mainstream um, attention. Yeah, I think that's that's part of the scandal, right? Yeah, it's it's insane. So, so there's there's two sides of this, right? There's one side that's like all the way deep down a satanic um, rabbit hole, 
where people right. are like, they are blatantly showing us human trafficking and da da and like blatantly doing it. That's not something I necessarily agree with. Uh, right. I, I don't think that anyone who is truly participating in like child sacrifice and human trafficking and stuff like that is going to give you any flags to let them know that that's what they're doing. You know, I just, right. I just don't think they're going to do that. Um, right. And I could be wrong. I know there's going to be people who are like, you're just not hip to it. You're not looking right. at the symbols, you know? Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty on board with the whole Satan is the God of this age thing. Right? I, right. I know that. But then you have the, the other side where it's just, you know, this one, the one person who was in control of it is, uh, you know, somebody who is definitely against the church, definitely against, uh, they, you see pictures of them in church wearing shirts that are like anti-Christ, you know? And so then you, you just have that, but it's a 100% fact that Balenciaga knew what was going on. Yes. They knew what was going on. That's not even disputed. Yeah. Yeah. That's the craziest part. I think for me, you know, there is the spiritual component but the way I look at it is that yes, Satan is the, is the god of this age. He's the he's the ruler over this this cosmos, right? And mm-hmm. because of that, why wouldn't it be okay for for that what the horrific things that Balenciaga was showing to be used as mainstream? Because according to mod- modernity, according to postmodernism, that's just an opinion. It's like maps, you know, the whole idea of minor attracted persons calling them that instead of you know the pedo. Um, those are all ways to get around our our deeply embedded morality and and view of what God holds right and wrong. And we've created a culture of that. And so because we've created a culture of that, of course, it would be obvious that these people would see, you know, those crazy images and see them as just provocative or Mm -hmm. as modern art or something like that. Because I know these circles too. Like I I live in New Jersey. I I spend a lot of time in New York. I've been to New York, like art parties and stuff, nothing that crazy. But the way these people talk, they talk in a different language. They're, They're talking about you know, the soul of the art and what how it makes them feel. And they get detached from what is actual reality versus what is just an artistic concept mm. and how just executing on that artistic concept could become reality. Because if you place that child there and you remove that the clothing from that child and you do whatever, do whatever, then you've actually abused that child, right? Even if it was in the name of art, you've still done that. So I think that's where a lot of the framework for all these weird fashion types are coming from is this ability to do whatever to justify the means of art. Art is the God. And so whatever you want to do to further that, that art um, becomes just another part, a cog in the wheel of the machine, right? And so that's kind of where I sit on the spiritual side of things. But then there's no doubt that Balenciaga went through all of the procedures to make sure this was okay. And they said it was okay. And like, just from working in design, you see how many revisions of things people do. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure maybe you can attest to this. I, there's no way that an art house, a fashion house like Balenciaga didn't do constant revisions and Photoshop out little details here yep. and there in order to cultivate the image that they have. It's not like this was marketing. This is their product, right? So like they spent time, resources, people, manpower to make sure this was exactly how they wanted. And there's no getting around that. <laughs> So how do we look at this through a, a Christian lens without going off the deep spiritual, uh, the, the, the spiritual deep end? <laughs> yeah, well, I, the first thing that I like to do is, is, uh, is polarize things properly. So everything that is not for God is against God. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I mean this in the sense of like, our culture is a, a 
demonic quote unquote culture, it is submitted to the flesh, submitted to the worldly. And so of course there's gonna be things that are not biblical and some people are gonna take it further than others because in many ways, I feel like America is this place that God has submitted to, to our own blatant desires and our own selfish desires. And so because of that, it's up to us as Christians to continue to be salt and light in those moments, not by like diving into the deep end of conspiracy and doing conspiracy videos and stuff like that, but once again, like evangelizing, preaching the gospel to people, changing people's hearts from the bottom up. It's not a top-down legislation of, of who Jesus is, but a bottom-up revival in many ways, because I'm charismatic, I'm gonna say it, revival of, oh, no. of people's hearts. <laughs> Do you, you use the R word. I know. <laughs> there's two I'm R gonna lose words. more followers for that. Yeah, there's, there's two R words, right? One is reformed and the other one is revival. And they're, yeah. they're on two opposite ends of the spectrum right oh yeah <laughs> but um all right so let's move on to the number one and then we have a bonus round before we close this out so oh. the number one thing was kanye west on alex jones <laughs> bro oh, I, I, lo I lost it on that so when kanye first came out as like the christian dude i i had i feel like every everything that we're discussing i have two views on you know yeah. <laughs> everything we're discussing yeah. i have one view where uh, you know, I was so happy that he found Christ, you know, mm -hmm. super happy that um, that. Uh, so we in sales, right? When, when we get a new teammate in, in, a, in our organization, somebody who's like really ambitious, really excited, really ready to, to take things to the next level. We, we say we look at them uh, with one eye as, yeah, they're going to kill it. They're, they're going to yeah. be a rock star. They're going to do this. And the other eye is they're going to quit tomorrow. You know, so yeah. this is now how I view life. Right. In one eye, I'm looking at Kanye West as, wow, man, praise God. He's making incredible music, doing these Sunday services, all of this. On the other eye, I'm like, he's going to screw this up. <laughs> right. And yeah, my discernment led me to more of him screwing it up than, you know, uh, than him being a really good uh, display of what it is to be a Christian in that world, you know? Yeah. And um, he he did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> he disappointed me so much, man. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's let's dig into this a little bit before we close this out. Yeah. So I'll, I'll admittedly say I was biased towards Kanye for a long time because he's my he's been my favorite artist since I was in high school, you know, and like to see him transform the hip hop industry. Like I always say. I always used to say Kanye is the greatest hip hop artist to ever live because without him, you don't have any of the new generation hip hop artists. Like Jay-Z constantly gets that title and it's like, yeah, but nobody raps like Jay-Z anymore. Everybody raps like Kanye now. And so that, that's digression. But the, the thing that really upset me was like, I was biased on his behalf thinking like everything was working out properly. He's, you know, he was with a, Pastor Aaron Ty Adam Tyson, I believe was his name, was a reformed pastor. He was learning proper theology. He was talking about biblical eisegesis on, on Rogan, which was crazy to me. Um, and all of that was working out. But Ruslan said, uses this phrase called access to excess, which is something that just, it, it dominates my thinking when it comes to Kanye. Like if you have access to all of the greatest minds in the world, and then you become a Christian, now you have access to all of the greatest Christian thinkers in the world. And you're and they and somehow most of them will contradict each other, right? Like you have the Joel Osteens, but then you have Paul Washer, and then like you have equal access to either of them, because I'm sure both of them will sit down with you. So I think Kanye's thing 
was more so of a confusion and is still a confusion to the point where now he starts getting canceled and his access slims down to only the most famous canceled people. And then that's where you get Milo Yiannopoulos and you get Nick Fuentes and people like that. And, and you know, I won't lump them in with them, but Gavin McInnes and, and uh, Adam, Alex Jones, which I think are not equal to the other two, but yeah, they're still a story for another time. Famously yeah. canceled people, you know? Famously There's, canceled people. And they're still famous. But, yeah. they're, but they're canceled, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that, that actually, that breakdown makes a lot of sense. Of, um, But, it, you know, I'm hoping that all of the stuff being stripped away from him is God bringing him back to himself. You know, I hope so, too. He disciplines those who are his, you know? Yes. And uh, Kanye is, he 100% has some mental issues, you know? It's, yeah. It's obvious, and he's you know he's admitted it before that he has mental yeah. issues. It's difficult to have mental issues and a lot of money and a lot of access. You yeah. know, it's really difficult because you can indulge in whatever it is that you want, and you can also think that you are greater than you are. Right. And right. Um, Absolutely. And that's that's the interesting dynamic that he has, because it's very it would be very easy for the Kardashians to do what what. Um, Britney Spears' father did to her, which is a, a conservatorship. And that the, the fact that that hasn't happened yet blows my mind. And from what I hear, Kanye is kind of missing now. <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah, I, so somebody's I, trying to give him something and he's just nowhere to be found. In my opinion, he's um, at Nick Fuentes' mom's house, but <laughs> that's just my opinion because <laughs> he lives with his mom. All but, right. So uh, from a Christian perspective, what, what should we do when it comes to Kanye? I mean, obviously pray for him. Um, when, when it when it comes to filtering what's going on with him through a Christian lens, supposedly, you know, looking at another brother in Christ, you know, uh, I, yeah. I don't think that Kanye did not. Uh, I think Kanye is a Christian. Right. Mm. I just think he's really, really jacked up. Right. Yes. Like all the way. Right. Yes. And I believe this because I was a Christian and really jacked up for a while. Same. Right. Same. So. Um, I'm not doubting his salvation. So how do we how do we process this when it's so easy to just like judge like, yeah, Kanye said this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm guilty of, of doing this as well. So yeah. h- how do you how do you do that? My approach has been to take what he says seriously and discredit it seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the things that he talked about at Alex Jones, everybody's reaction was he's crazy, he's lost his mind, and nobody's contending with the ideas that he thinks he has, which he's getting from people like well, Nick Fuentes. Um, so my thought was, let me lay out what he actually believes, which I won't say here so we don't get demonetized or canceled. Yeah. Um, and then I want to discredit it point by point so that God, you know, let, let's hope he runs into somebody that knows how to discredit it properly. He can listen to them. But then at the same time, on the spiritual side, as Christians, as uh, ideally brothers in Christ, you want to pray for not only him, but for his family and for good, solid leadership to be around him because he doesn't have any of that. He has no discipleship. He has nobody around him that we know of who's leading him into true, into the capital letter T, the faith, right? And if, if he doesn't have that, then why do we expect him to be some great theologian out of nowhere? He's hanging out with two uh, Christian imperialists or Catholic imperialists, I'll say that, because they're both Catholics. And he's drawing ideas from them, not realizing that the, the foundation of what they believe in is way different than somebody that's strictly, you know, sola, script, sola scriptura or something like that. Yeah. So I think 
yeah, pray, prayer is really all we can do. He's so out of touch. There's not much else. But in the day-to-day conversation, it should be like, well, yeah, he said these things and this is why they're wrong. Because uh, we don't want to get in the habit of slandering people's mental health or making too much of it because, like I said, it's very realistic that a conservatorship would happen to him. And we don't necessarily know if that's something good or not. So, yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, with that being said, let's get to the bonus. And yes. uh, I think this bonus, you know, maybe maybe it has something to, something to do with Kanye going missing. Um, Andrew Tate has got arrested, <laughs> right? And also your camera has gone missing as well. So I, I just the, realized yeah, that. Now. So I put the I put the picture back. But Andrew Crap. Tate has been arrested for allegedly being involved in human trafficking. So wow. this is this is been a nice close to the year i I have mixed opinions of andrew tate you know i've made my videos uh uh, on him especially when he converted to islam and now i've seen videos where he says yeah well when i'm in dubai you know i respect islam when i'm in romania (laughs) i i respect christianity i just respect god right nah man you playing you you're playing politics that's that's what you're doing yeah that's what you're doing so give us give us your perspective on on him getting arrested and you know how are we to view characters like Andrew Tate who have some things that are in alignment with, you know, what we believe, especially politically? Right. Um, how, how do we filter that through a Christian lens? It's it's a weird comparison to make, but I think we should treat it a lot like we, we should treat people like Jordan Peterson, which is take everything that they say seriously and contend with it, but also don't take it as an authority on Christianity because Jordan Peterson himself is not admittedly a Christian, um, just like Andrew Tate is admittedly not a Christian, but it doesn't take a Christian to genuinely observe reality and say what is truth and not. Mm-hmm. What it does take a Christian to do is say is be indwelled with the Holy Spirit and have their life surrendered to Jesus and to, cl- and to claim that Jesus is Lord, right? And so I think when it comes to Tate, there is a lot of things that he gets right about things just from daily life experience probably or wisdom or reading whatever but that that's not the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is a life in in jesus and when we're looking at his character specifically we have to notice what he says and what he does are two different things and they're in in opposition to each other so he'll talk about how women are you know HOEs nowadays and and you know that it's it's disgusting it's haram he says that all the time which means sin in arabic um but then he runs an OnlyFans uh, agency, and that's how he gets a lot of his money. So you're telling me that women are disgusting nowadays because of the infidelity and the things that they're doing with their body. So you're going to further that by creating an agency that perpetuates that, and make, you're going to make money off of it. Yeah. So he's making the problem worse. <laughs> he, but but uh, so these people in like the red pill manosphere sector, they operate in ises, not oughts you know yeah and, huge problem yeah and that's that's you know they they know how it ought to be but since right. since this is how it is they're going to play into how it is and use it to squeeze people for everything that they got right well in my opinion that's cowardice and that's that's selfishness right because if you realize you can take advantage of somebody easily doesn't it make you a coward if you actually do take advantage of that person? That, that's the contrary of, of, quote unquote, an alpha, which is what all these people are perpetuating, the idea of an alpha. An alpha doesn't capitalize on somebody's weaknesses um, just because they're weak. 
he does so in a way that maybe would get him something, um, but also in a way that would help everybody, that would elevate people, right? And so I think it's I think it's weird. This whole manosphere thing has become what what I originally thought was like a a, a break off of the pickup artist community. Mm-hmm. It's not actually that. What it actually is is a break off of the MGTOW men go their own way community. And that's completely different because it treats women like the enemy, like the problem, like like an obstacle to be overcome instead of like human beings to actually curate a nourishing relationship with. Yeah. And, and so I, I think those two things are way in opposition. And Tate is kind of the shining beacon of the example of that. And on top of the fact that <laughs> he's probably in a lot of weird activity, there's no proof of, of like what he does with his money. But I'm waiting for evidence. Simple as that. And, you know, I don't. If the American government had coerced the 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 government of his country to arrest him, I think that's wrong. But I need to see proof first before any of these allegations or anything. So we we really don't know right now. Yeah, and I think underlying uh, all of this and and the way that these men quote unquote act is pornography. You know. Yeah. That, that has uh, you know, it corrupts societies. And I just spoke about this on a live the other night and. It, when I was addicted to porn, I viewed women in such a different way than, you know, I would say how I view my wife now, you know, I viewed right. them as um, I had a, a level of respect for women. I definitely did. It, it, it wasn't um, like I wasn't an abusive person or, or anything like that, but. I, I viewed them as like a means to an end some, in one way or another. And then I also would fall in love with my eyes instead of, um, you know, my eyes w- is what I would use to determine if I'm going to love somebody. I, I didn't even look at their characteristics as a person. Right. And it's because I had this idea of what a beautiful woman is supposed to look like. And it was from porn. So right. if you look at like my track record of women, a lot of them look like porn stars, you know, <laughs> and it was like men thought it was cool. Like, wow, you dating this chick, blah, blah, blah. But it was really bad. It was really right. bad. And it was because of that warped view of sexuality that I had from, you know, spending so much time watching porn. And this definitely um, is one of the biggest factors that influences this way of thinking. Oh, big time. Yeah, it, it's it's really one of the biggest problems that men face today and it's not talked about enough because it's become so generalized that it is an interesting time where we're seeing more people talk about the effects of porn and we're seeing more people talk about even like the physical effects the way the mental ones the not even mentioning the spiritual effects right but but you are seeing a lot more content in that area and oddly enough even tate has brought it up that's that's the funny thing is that he will admit his own contradictions but act like they're not contradictions and and that's why i think men like this um i understand why they're popular because they speak to a part of a man that has been shut down by society but at the same time what they're saying in the long run is contradictory Mm -hmm. and so i think i think a lot of men would do well in finding proper uh, christian leaders that will talk to them about manhood, people like, you know, I know he's controversial, but Mark Driscoll and people like that who actually will take the time to speak directly to men um, in a biblical way. I think those those are some of the most valuable leaders there are. I would say even Ruslan's in that camp. And so, you know, I, I think 
taking some advice from from Tate is fine. I think following him as a personality and making him out to be some sort of leader is wrong, right? He's an entertainer. Yeah, that is exactly what he is. He's an entertainer. And if you use him for anything beyond entertainment, uh, you're, you're shooting yourself in, in the foot. And I don't even think you should use him for entertainment. You know? <laughs> Agreed. Uh, uh, he should, he should, let's, let's leave him in 2022. <laughs> so with that being said, man, I apologize for all of the hiccups and everything that, that too, went man. on with this. I apologize to everybody who's been with us watching this whole entire time. Um, you know, truly appreciate it. But so just before we sign out, I want you guys to know that Angel is actually going to be a part of the Why Jesus Network. So since Angel's wheelhouse is filtering politics through a Christian lens. He's going to be doing a bunch of different segments on hot political topics, discussing them through a Christian lens. So you're going to be seeing him on this channel. So if you're not subscribed or, or anything, make sure you subscribe because you're going to be seeing him a lot more. And also make sure you go subscribe to his personal channel where he's going to be going more in depth on, on these type of topics and giving a, a, a perspective from, from his side of things. So with that being said, uh, any final words before we sign out, brother? No, man. Thank you so much for having me and diving into the weeds with me, man. Definitely, man. I appreciate you being here, and I'm looking forward to all the stuff we're going to do in 2023. Same here. All right. God bless, bro. And for everybody bless, listening, I'll see you on the next one. I will be live on my channel in about 45 minutes. So God bless. <laughs> Grinding. Yep. <laughs>